I'm just mindful that Joe Delk's not here today. So that's three bells that we're used to hearing that we did not hear this morning. And what a joy it is to be together to bring to Almighty God our hymns of grateful praise this morning and our songs of delight that we can be here in this time in this space to worship Almighty God. Uh, welcome in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And may I say to each and every one of us, whether you're seated with or not seated by your Valentine today, happy Valentine's today. The beautiful, beautiful good news is that in God we are loved eternally. And so we are never away from our truest, our best Valentine, the one who loves us the most, the dearest, the Lord Jesus Christ and God's Holy Spirit who dwells with us. This afternoon at 4 p.m. here in this very room, faith friends, we are back together. That's uh, ages birth through fifth grade or any other age who'd like to come and join us. Uh, Corey and Natalie have a great hour of fun and learning. And this semester we're going to be looking at the fruit that the Holy Spirit of God bears in and through our lives. The spiritual fruit that are enumerated for us in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And if you remember what the fruit are, then you know that as we begin that study today, we will start with the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. And so on this Valentine's Day, the uh, faith friends, those younger children will be coming together. And if you're uh, older, but you would like to join us, we'd love to have you here in this space. You can come and have some fun, sing a bit uh, God's praise about love, and learn more about what it means to be loved and to love others. Uh, youth will be from 4 to 5.30 down around the end of the building in the fellowship hall, and so we hope and pray that one of the other places you'll join us this afternoon as we continue our life together. Now let us stand and sing to God's praise. We do ask you if you'll sing with a mask on. We appreciate that care and concern for one another. Arise. Sing a 
Amen. As we continue singing, we're going to sing, I will call upon the Lord. And uh, as I was looking at the passage Rob is going to preach from uh, in just a bit, um, just the, the two encounters uh, with Jesus, uh, we've got Jairus uh, pleading with God, um, uh, with Jesus to, to heal his daughter. And uh, we've got the woman who's been bleeding for 12 years and just thinks, if I can just touch him, um, I'll be healed. And um, just the idea there, thinking of um, calling upon the Lord in our time of need. And so I thought this would be a wonderful song for us to sing as we think in those regards. Amen. You may be seated, please. And as we're seated and a couple of gentlemen are going to come up to lead us in our continuing worship in a few moments, but as we prepare to go to the Lord, we are mindful this day of the reality that we are those who are not worthy to even approach God. And yet the Lord has said to us, come, come to me. Not only come to Jesus, but follow Jesus. He wants us with him in each and every moment. And now as we pray together as a congregation, uh, I am mindful that God's forgiveness has renewed us, has said, your sins are past. We, uh, we think of our sins, and we think of our sins, and we remember our sins and we remember our sins. God sees our sin and he casts it away into a sea of forgetfulness. And it is done. And he casts our sin away. It is in the newness that God has given us in forgiveness that we bow before God, called worthy saints by his grace. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you and praise you this day. We are sorry. We are sorry for the things that we should have done that we left undone. We are sorry for the things we did that we should have walked away from, the words we've spoken that hurt others, the things we've done to hurt ourselves, 
and those we love the most. But Lord, we praise you and thank you that in you is found newness of life. Forgiveness sets us free, the shackles fall off, and we can dance in that joyous celebration of new life in Jesus Christ. Thank you for your Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Lord, remind us that it is not that we feel new, but that we are new. It is not even what we do always, but who we are in you. And we praise you and we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you take all things and you work them together for good because you've called us and you have made in us a love for you that is to everlasting. Lord, we pray now that you would hear us as we lift up the names and the situations of those for whom uh, our hearts are heavy in this day. For Robin. Father, I pray especially for us as a congregation that you would embolden us to love as never before. To love not that which we like, that which we prefer, but to love that which we consider ugly, that which we consider outcast, that and those who are different from us, who have different attitudes and opinions. Lord, make in us a new creation that is loving and caring and, Lord, civil. Civil because you have said that it is good to be kind. Not simply nice, but to be kind and compassionate and merciful. Lord, we can't do this, but you can and you will as we are open to your movement in us. And now, Father, bring us together as we pray as you have taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And now, children, from kindergarten through fifth grade, you can go with Miss Natalie and Miss Corey right out the door over here. You got one coming behind you there, Corey. Hey, happy Valentine's, y'all. Good morning. God loves you, and so do we. Yeah, gentlemen, come on up.
Thank you, Nora. Thank you, guys. Is that true for you? What they just sang? That he touched you? That he is touching you? And that you are whole? And isn't it true that right now he's touching us? And I'll be the first to raise my hand and say, in this moment, I don't feel whole, but I trust that I am whole. I don't see whole, but I know whole. And his name is Jesus. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Our scripture lesson this morning is from Mark. It's uh, the fifth chapter, the 21st through the 43rd verses. If you weren't with us last week, we finished on verse 20. Jesus was across the Sea of Galilee. He'd gone across to the side where Jews were not supposed to go, to the Decapolis, to the place of the nations, the Gentiles. He was uh, a Jew to go there, became unclean, ceremonially speaking. And Jesus had gone across and done even worse than that. He'd not only stepped ashore, he had confronted this demoniac, this man inhabited by a legion of demons. 
Jesus had set him free. His shackles, gone. A part of his history, but no part of his present or his future. And now we pick up in Mark, the 21st verse, and it's a bit of a reading here, 20-some verses, but will you uh, share my respect for God's word and stand as we hear the gospel read? And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, now back to the Galilean side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. And then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And Jesus went with Jairus. And a great crowd followed Jesus and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment for she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately... The flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? (laughs) And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around him, and yet you say, Who touched me? And Jesus looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the truth, the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing, some uh, translations make it ignoring, but overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you for your attention to God's holy word. And I want us to turn this morning and think first about this word risk. A word easy for us to say to one another, hey, take a risk, risk risk this, but so much harder to put into practice. Shared at first service that for years I have had a dream of parachuting. 
There's just something incredibly appealing to that about that to me, even though I am deathly afraid of heights. The pulpit gives me just pause for concern. And yet the thought of jumping out of a plane and gently floating to the earth, of course, is to ignore all the risks, which my wife is good to remind me of. And so for many, many years, as I have from time to time said, gosh, I'd love to parachute, she has reminded me, you have responsibilities. You know, when we think about taking a risk, jumping in a moment, we discover two things about ourselves. We discover our fears, but we also discover our faith. We've been reading stories here this last number of weeks, stories filled with risk. The risk of a wedding gone awry when the wine runs out pales by comparison when we think about Peter stepping out of the boat onto the sea toss, uh, the storm toss uh, waves, and, and even that seems uh, tame compared to Jesus stepping out of the boat onto the place of Jewish uncleanness and confronting this man filled with a legion with many demons. And now, Jairus's daughter and the hemorrhaging woman present to us two narratives interwoven here in the text we've read, and both are storylines dominated by risk. Interesting to study such texts as we live in a world that is seemingly overwhelming us with the risks that we're called to take. God's true, truth highlights the issues that we face, the, the risks, the very real risks to our reputation and the faith required to press forward through our fears. Mark, the fifth chapter here, presents us with two crowds. First, the crowd gathered there around Jesus as he is teaching and, and, and pushing and jostling one another like so many paparazzi. And then just down the way a bit at the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, another crowd, a crowd of, of mourners, many of them probably paid. That was the common custom in those days because they could wail and weep better than most but God's Holy Spirit wants us, the, the, the crowds are the backdrop, they're the canvas on which God paints this picture for us here. But God wants to, to zero in on just a few of the characters before us. In this moment, in the midst of, of the crowd, there is Jesus, and then there is Jairus, and then there is the hemorrhaging woman. First, there was Jairus, the archisynagogus, that is the ruler of the synagogue. He came to Jesus, step into his shoes. He came to Jesus, fearing for his daughter's life. He fell at the rabbi's feet, pleading as only a terrified father can. Then there was the woman, step into her shoes. She inched her way toward Jesus, 
hoping all the time that the crowd would not see her, that she would be invisible because, you see, she was a marked woman. She had been sick with a hemorrhaging disease for 12 years, and it had made her, every day that she had hemorrhaged, the blood made her unclean and unfit to be around others. Both of them, this day, faced a great risk. To do nothing meant Jairus' daughter most likely would die. To do nothing meant the woman would remain an outcast. So they both made their way to Jesus. They took a risk. They put their reputations on the line. Reputation. Oh, how precious that is to us, is it not? For Jairus to approach this rabbi named Jesus was radical, radical for a synagogue ruler of his prominence. He was the man who was entrusted by the community to lead worship. He was a trustee of the building. He was the one charged to make sure the building was maintained. And you know how religious people feel about their buildings. He was a man of great prominence here. What would others think about him when they saw him humble himself before this rabbi who broke the Sabbath rules and fraternized with sinners? It could very well cost him his job and very possibly his reputation also. And as for the woman, to get to Jesus unseen meant that she had to break every rule that was laid down for the unclean. And there, the rules were numerous. Because you see, the, the society would rather that the unclean, especially one unclean for 12 years, that they would just... Keep them to them, keep to themselves, stay away from us. But if they did screw up enough courage to go out into public, then they were supposed to announce their coming. You know, maybe wear a sign, I am unclean, or to shout as they went through the streets, unclean coming, unclean coming. Think about walking through your school hallway saying that. She risked a great deal as she quietly made her way. If I could just, just touch the hem of his garment. And yet all the time realizing that with every person she touched or who touched her in the just jostle of that crowd, that she made them unclean. And she would even make this rabbi unclean and risk mob anger. No surprise that being seen with Jesus was risky back then, potentially detrimental to career and calls. And we see such opposition all the way through the New Testament, don't we? It's no surprise even today when we see such opposition to those who stand with Jesus when we see it in a country where that has another dominant religion or in a totalitarian state. No surprise to see that people oppose Christians. 
The surprise comes actually as we see the increasing opposition to Christians in this land. A nation founded on Christian principles, uh, long committed to the freedom of religious practice and, and worship and care for the downtrodden. And today, and, and perhaps increasingly so more tomorrow, it's risky for one's reputation to align yourself with Jesus. I wonder, beloved, why you are here this morning publicly exposing your hand. Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, wondered, he, can I of all people in this town be seen with this rabbi? What will people think? Will my reputation suffer for being seen with Jesus? Will they let me keep my position at the synagogue? These are questions, I don't have to stretch it, these are questions I hear many Christians asking in this day and time. If I stand with Jesus at what cost in this moment? And yet what I observe is that the truly faithful realize the risk is worth it for there is no health, no life apart from Christ. Taking a risk putting our reputation on the line, this brings out our fears. If I make this decision at work, if I do the Christian thing at work, what will it cost me? What will happen to me? What if I seek to do this and I fail? Will I lose hope? Can I do this and live? Fears, very real fears. They can make us stop dead in our tracks. And they can also make us make the wrong decision. Fear. Fear, fear is woven into this passage. Jairus was fearful. The woman was fearful. Yet they pressed on. And there are many situations in our life together with one another in this community that make me fearful. Do I ever give you the impression that I am just faithful? That I don't face days with great fear and trembling? Please let me set you straight. I'm incredibly fearful every Sunday, but I think maybe more so today to preach this text. I look at us. If we stand for the truth, for what is right, will our reputation suffer in the community? It has before when we've done it. If I preach the truth, will I, if I preach the truth to you, will I lose my job? You think preachers don't think about that in this day and time? I will tell you, we do. Look around today and we see people who stood up for what was right and their reputations have been shredded in the marketplace. How many gyruses have stood for the lives of the unborn working at great risk to life and limb to keep them from the hands of a nation that has forgotten the sanctity of life. I say that with gentleness for those who have faced the horror and the pain. How many have risked their reputations to stand up for what God says is right even as the crowds go willy-nilly calling evil good? 
Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. stood for equal opportunity for all, even as many said and many still continue to say that opportunities are defined by the color of one's skin. And today, many twist the good for which Martin Luther King gave his life and apply it to issues on which the Bible is clear, issues so removed from racial ethnic issues such as God's beautiful creation of clear gender identity and healthy sexual expression. And I realize in this moment to even lightly touch upon such subjects is risky and could harm my reputation, even with you. And such a realization brings fear. But I have to face it because to give in to fear separates me from Christ. Every time we have given in to fear, we have been a little further away from Jesus than we could be. And every place we have given in to faith, we have been closer to him. To give in to fear separates me from Christ and is when we give in to fear, it's a denial of the reality that health and hope and life are found only in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I realize that God has poured out his love for us so that we can have courage enough to love others well enough to help them see how much they need to just touch the hem of Jesus' garment. And how we must risk all to intercede for those who face death if Jesus is not in the inner rooms of their life touching their lives. Fears are real, but I tell you, as we face them, there is incredible joy. And that joy is that as we face our fears with Jesus, we see his Holy Spirit producing in us stronger faith. Faith, oh what a word, faith. Faith is what allows us to press on in this race. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is that which which makes us right, it justifies us, it restores us to right relationship with God. Look at Galatians 2.16. And then remember also that faith rests wholly in God. Psalm 40, the 11th verse reminds us, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. Faith carries us forward, and as we walk forward in faith, guess what's going to happen? New fears are going to pop up. But as new fears pop up, new opportunities for faith to grow and mature will come before us. This is what happened to the woman. Jesus revealed what she had gained as she let faith overcome her fear of the crowd that day. And she was granted peace, peace. Jesus said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. I could have preached a sermon in the 15 minutes or so that you give me this morning. I could have preached a sermon just going to every word in that verse. Oh my goodness, I don't have time to handle every word, but everyone in that verse is important. But don't miss the fact that Jesus said to this woman, your faith has made you well. Don't miss that he said to the woman, go in peace. 
Don't miss that Jesus said, as you go, you will be healed. And we see here clearly that the emphasis in Mark in this passage is not on what happened to this woman's too long-endured disease, but the emphasis is on what happened to the woman. In the chaos of her life, in the destruction that it brought to her for 12 years, Jesus said, your faith has made you well. Faith had drawn her to the great peacemaker, Jesus, and Jesus had granted her peace. See, the story kind of ends there for us. And the problem with that is we go, oh, happy ending to the story. She walks away well. Don't think for a moment that having been healed, that life for her was a bowl of cherries from then on out because she still had a reputation. Everybody, everybody looked at her and said, oh, well, unclean woman, been unclean for 12 years. She had a reputation for uncleanness to overcome. And besides that, she was impoverished, we're told. She spent everything trying to get well, and it hadn't worked. And on top of that, she was a woman, which was not at all easy in that day and time. And she still had fears to face and faith to grow. But she had peace in Jesus. And peace in Jesus is health and life. Jesus gives us peace in life, but he also gives us provision, which we see as we stroll down the street and go to Jairus' house. Because there in that moment when Jairus might have turned away from Jesus, because several came from his house and, and found Jairus there with Jesus and said, hey, don't trouble the teacher anymore. Your daughter is dead. It's over. Just go home. Leave the rabbi to go on. Go bury your daughter. What a devastating moment. How quickly we can skip over that moment. And in this moment when Jairus might have turned away from Jesus, believing that because his daughter was dead, the moment for miracles and life change was past, Jairus hears Jesus, the Lord and giver of life, say to him, Do not fear, only believe. And Jairus saw in that moment God's provision. You see, peace is necessary for faith to grow. There's no doubt about it. And, and also so is provision. You know, God gives us the bread of life, Jesus Christ, and he gives us peace. But God also gives us daily bread. And the two together focus us as we move forward in faith. I, I think I'm pretty clear on this. I think that if we heard that our child was dead and then by the touch of a healer's hand was alive, we would focus totally on the miracle in that moment. I know I would. Yet Jesus, the, the, the true miracle worker in all the history of humankind, points us always away from the miracle. He points us always to the relationship. 
He points us always to see that it's, it's not only about Jesus. It's about Jesus and us working together. This goes back to God asking Adam to come name the animals. God's always operated this way. Us together, relationship. That's why Jesus told the girl's parents and Peter, James, and John who were standing there with them in that room, doors closed. They were the only ones who saw that. I, 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 I don't know. Is there uh, significance that the number of people in that room that day was seven? Uh, perhaps so. And Jesus says to them who have just witnessed this supposedly dead girl come to life and stand up and walk, Jesus says to them, don't say anything about this. Our secret. <laughs> like, that's not going to leak to the media. Like, within about half an hour that that's going to not be on Peter's Facebook page. Come on, give me a break. But Jesus wanted them to see the relationship, not simply miracle. He wanted them and us to look at this moment as amazing as it is and not explain it via the miracle, but to explain it, to put it on view for the world in terms of the relationship. Reveal good news by letting everybody see the girl eat. Because there's nothing that says somebody's alive than them eating, taking nourishment. Wes Collins always used to say that. Vertical and ventilating and taking nourishment. Nothing says life. And Jesus wants them to see, everybody, us concluded, to see relationship of life to life. And here it is that God puts on full display the full extent of his love for us. Love revealed not so much in miracles, but rather in relationships. His hand, just like it held Jairus' daughter's hand, his hand holding ours. And just as he said to the woman, his voice saying to us, Go in peace. Love is why God sent his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that we would not continue to live in condemnation shackled for all time by our sins. But that we could move forward freed by faith that overcomes fear. God sent Jesus into the life of a girl and a woman and it meant life for the girl and a life for the woman. And that's God's love always. Given not for amazement, though his love is truly amazing, but given not so that we could get caught up in the miraculous, whoa, you won't believe what God did, but that we would be wrapped up, not for a moment of miracle, but for the eternity of relationship with God that brings life. And that's sweet. We have read quite a few miracle stories these past weeks. 
I don't know about you, but the problem with miracle stories in the Bible is how in the world am I supposed to apply them to my life, your life? What do we do with them? Because I'm sitting here looking at you all and look back at me the same way. I realize that every one of us, every one of us, I'm trying to make eye contact with every one of us. Every one of us has had that moment in our life when we needed a miracle. Right now. Right now, God I'm as desperate as Jairus was with his child. I am in as much suffering as the woman was for herself. And we did not get a miracle. But our presence today, our attention to this word of God, Our worship of Almighty God in this moment is a reminder of what we do have. Relationship. Relationship. And praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for that. As we focus on the relationship, as we keep our eyes on Jesus, then we will see how Jesus met the clean. They're the easy ones. They smell good. And the unclean. Nasty people. Prostitutes. Tax collectors. Republicans. Democrats. Blacks. Hispanics. English is a second language speakers. Poor. You name them. Jesus met them. And we, as we keep our eyes on Jesus, we see how and why he risked his life and reputation to overcome their fear with the faith he came to give, which is love. And as we keep our eyes on Jesus, then we will see how we too can be used of God to bring peace and provision to the lives around us. And you know what's going to happen? As we do that, people will see and, and they will believe Especially in a world that is as cruel as it is today, as it's always been. These people will think and believe that a miracle has happened in their life. And it will have happened because they will have seen Jesus in you and in me. Oh Lord, we pray that this would be true. For us. And now may the grace, because we need it desperately, the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the love of God our Heavenly Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Go and